And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the athletic hockey show. Pierre Lebrun, I'm I'm I'm, I'm normally I sit down for these, but I'm sort of bouncing up and down here in my closet. Maybe it's because I've already done yoga today. I'm feeling very limber, and Pierre, we have a ton of stuff going. We got a ton of headline stuff to get to, lots of newsy things, coaches, all that kind of stuff. Of course. We're only a few days away from the first playoff games of the 2021 season, and we're going to be joined by Hall of Famer Doug Wilson, GM of the San Jose Sharks. Really looking forward to chatting with Doug about what's going on with the Sharks and the West, and he's curious to see what he thinks about the whole playoff landscape. But how are you doing, my friend? Is it, you know, I, I, are, you, uh, are you feeling the playoff vibe? How are you feeling today? First of all, I should have brought this up earlier this season, but should we start a GoFundMe page for you so that you don't have to work out of your closet and we could actually build you an office? Is that like, are you doing okay? It's got this Can I closet. Help you? No, no, this, I will tell you, I'm quite comfortable in this closet and maybe it's the, uh, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, there's a quiet, tiny little place. Like I think of, uh, what's that, uh. What's that horror movie? Is it a quiet place? Is that one where they can't speak? And because oh, anyway, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm I'm feeling I feel quite secure okay. in here, and I feel even closer to you because I, I'm not distracted by outside noises or anything. And plus, as Jeff will attest to, I think the acoustics are pretty damn good. But but I thank see. you for thinking of me. Okay, I right. see. Uh, uh, I forgot what you asked me, so yeah, we're off to a good start. How are you feeling? How, how are things going? Uh, all good. Let's get the playoffs going. Saturday, Caps Bruins. Let's go. 
All right. Well, let's. Uh, you know what? We're gonna just we're gonna go fluid. We're gonna go on the on the fly here. Let's start with playoffs. Then we'll take a break and come back and talk. Uh, some by of the, the way, the, Canu- the Canucks and the Flames will still be <laughs> playing by the end of the first round of that Caps Bruin series. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> I know. I, so let me let's start with that. How do you feel about that? Because as and I you you uh, tweeted just before we came on, and you and I have talked about this, and I have alluded to it in print. Um, it looks like the North Division playoffs, which are now set, thanks to Winnipeg finally winning a game and beating Vancouver, securing third spot, and setting up what we had anticipated would be a um, an Edmonton Winnipeg series, and of course setting up the first Montreal Toronto series since 1979. Bring that on. Uh, looks like Habs Leafs next Wednesday, so a week from today on the 19th, correct? And then, well, likely- no, uh, my, I mean, we'll see. We'll so see. one of one of the two Canadian series will start, I think, next Wednesday, but then the other one will go the next day. So if I had right. to guess, I yeah. would think they would want Montreal Toronto on on the Saturday. Game two on the uh, 22nd, so if I had to guess, and I don't know this for sure, I would think they would start uh, with the old Smythe Division rivalry, Oilers-Jets on the 19th, and then Leafs-Habs on the on the 20th. Although, you know, there's nothing stopping the league going from past precedent from having two days off, so I guess it could be Habs-Leafs on the 19th, but then they don't play again until Saturday. But I have to assume Hockenheim Canada would want Habs-Leafs uh, for game two on the 22nd. Yeah, I'd heard actually the opposite, that the Leafs would start on Wednesday, Oilers start on Thursday. I was talking to somebody in Edmonton about this the other day, but anyway, no, it doesn't matter. No, there you go. Could be. It's, 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 yeah. it's certainly, it's, it's one or the other, and then the next series goes the right. next day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess my point is, how do you feel about the fact that, you know, as you point out, Boston, Pittsburgh, and as we're chatting here, Boston, Pittsburgh, we know for sure, start Saturday night. Um, we know that Vancouver and Calgary are still slogging through their final games into next week. And in, in fact, we'll play a matinee on the 19th. And a few hours later, the North Division playoffs, whichever series it is, is likely to start. Are, are you okay with all that? Like, and in between, like my sense is that Carolina, uh, Nashville will start Monday in Carolina. Um, it's, it's sort of spread out. There's a certain elastic part to the start of this playoffs because of COVID and the way the schedule goes, right? Like West, you know, uh, St. Louis um, plays there. They play Thursday evening this week. So like, it's, it's still spread out. Are you okay with that? Or how, how do you feel about it? Well, I feel, you know, I really feel bad for the Canucks. I mean, <laughs> you wish they could just say uncle and, and, and this, I mean, the, the schedule after their COVID Trauma has just been brutal, and now they're meaningless games. But it's it's about the mighty dollar, and the reality is that the you know their regional TV deal with Sportsnet, and it's about honoring the TV deal, and and that's what it really comes down to, to be honest. So, um, and you know, like I think half the rosters injured, and it's just it's no good to any of it. Um, right. So hopefully they just get through it without any further injury and without further incident, but uh, you want to talk about meaningless. I mean, I guess if I was either organization, I'd, I'd really want to go as AHL-like as you can in terms of getting a look at kids. Yeah. I mean, make make use of it, right? Yeah, no, good point. And it, I, it, like, listen, I, this isn't, a, it, to me, it's not a criticism. It, we had Bill Daly on, and you're right. I mean, you can't just... I know a lot of people say, well, just don't play those games. Well, it's not that, you know, it's it's more complicated than that. So you have to play. It is what it is. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I am so pumped 
for the playoffs. Uh, I think there are, I, I think there are so many compelling series. Um, and I want to ask you, so let's, you know, we talk a lot about the North. Yes. Montreal Toronto is going to be interesting, but listen, tr- you know, Montreal and Winnipeg stink right now. They are, <laughs> they might be the two worst teams going into the playoffs. Um, Let's let's start with what outside of the North Division. What's the series you are like? Oh my! I bring that on. I want to. I want to watch every minute of that that I can. Um, I think the Battle of Florida is going to be a ton of fun. You know, okay. first time that the Panthers and Lightning square off, defending champions trying to go for back to back, which is so rare. Um, and they're not quite in sync. Interestingly, now whether that matters entering the playoffs or not, I think we've seen that work two different ways over the years, right? Sometimes the light just goes on. Sometimes it's a red flag. Yep. Um, so that interests me. I mean, Florida absolutely smoked them the other night. Um, so, I mean, but that's exciting. I mean, you can talk all you want about the Battle of Florida. There, there's never really been a Battle of Florida because they've never no. played in the playoffs. So, right. So I think this is a chance – has a chance to be a real special series and, and that's exciting. I mean, obviously, you know, nothing is going to beat Habs Leafs in terms of historical importance. True. Uh, first time since 1979. I think what probably people around the league are wondering is how much of a fight are the Habs going to put up? And, and it's really intriguing. I mean, they're, they won only, well, they played their last game tonight here on TSN uh, as we're taping this on Wednesday morning, but They've won only seven of their last 20 games. So they're really limping into the playoffs. But some legitimate reasons. Again, they also had a COVID schedule alteration that had them play four games a week for five weeks in a row, which is ridiculous. And uh, we're missing a huge chunk of their lineup. You know, Weber, Price, Gallagher, etc. But having said all that, they made a coaching change when the team was healthy and before the COVID scare. So things were not all smooth for them <laughs> this year. Uh, so which version of them shows up? And I think it's just so compelling because every single statistical indication will tell you the Leafs should romp. But isn't there just something interesting about Carey Price showing up and saying, oh, it's me against Jack Campbell? I don't know. I'm just saying it's it's it's. Well, there's yeah. a chance for some X, X factors here, is what I'm saying with Montreal. Oh my God. Sure. Well, did we not have the same conversation before the play-in round between Montreal and Pittsburgh? And really, right. that was not that was a series that the Habs early on, you know, exerted control, and 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 the Penguins chased that entire series. It was like that was so. And, and listen, this Leafs team's better than that Penguins team. I think that's fair. But you know, I'm with you uh, all together. I want to I want to backtrack for a second. Florida Tampa could not agree more. So fascinated to see what happens with Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos, both of whom, mm-hmm. you know, the hope is that they will return to the lineup. You know, Kucherov has played a single game. Stamkos has missed, you know, the last whatever it's been month or six weeks with a core body. Like how you know. How does John Cooper use them? What are they? How do they step into that kind of hockey? But the question I want to leave you with on this series: If you're Joel Quenville, who's the starting? <laughs> I, know, go- I know, I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> who's the starting goalie for the Florida Panthers in Game One? And, and as you mentioned, they they finished up, and and it's not insignificant because Panthers are so good at home, and by beating Tampa the final two games or own home ice advantage in that series. Who's the number one game one starting goalie for the Florida Panthers? So I would go Bobrovsky only because it becomes a bigger story. Otherwise, you know, like, listen, you, you, the guy you're paying 10, you know, 
10 million dollars you start him and then if he falsters you have a short leash um you know because i think if you go the other way it you're inviting the kind of attention before the puck drops that maybe you don't want for a team that doesn't have that much playoff experience you know yeah you know yeah yeah, I, I, I honestly, I have, I have zero feel for it. Um, and yes, that's the safe bet. Although I go back to what Washington did in 18, you know, when the Grubauer and Holpe, right? Well, and Grubauer had, <clears throat> had supplanted Braden Holpe as the starter, had earned the start in the playoffs. And I was with you. I felt the, I felt they should have started Holpe. Go back to Grubauer, and of course, what do I know? They lose the first two games with Grubauer, and Holtby runs the the table. But is I think the my sense of Joel Quenville, listen, one of the greatest coaches of all time, going to the Hall of Fame. You know he doesn't care about Bobrovsky's contract. My guess is Joel cares not a whit for what people say about his team outside the room. Mm-hmm. And Chris Chris Dreger coming off a shutout against Tampa mm-hmm. has been the best goalie on that team. And I, I will not be surprised. It could go either way. Christ, they could start, start Spencer Knight. Who knows? But my guess. <laughs> <laughs> that be so good. Well, and, he, and with all due respect to Sergei Bobrovsky, he might be the third best goalie on that team right now. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I know Spencer Knight's only played a handful of games, but uh, great young kid. Chris Dreger's been the best goalie in that roster. And I wonder if it just sends the message to that team, you know, we're, we're playing our best players. And if you're not our best player, you don't get to play. And right now, Chris Dreger's our guy. Anyway, I, I'm fascinated to see it because I'm with you. I I think it is has a chance to be an epic series. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um. Okay. Here's a here's a team we don't. As you and I are chatting here, it's the I believe it's the only positioning still not settled. And you go to the West Division. And Colorado still nipping at the heels of Vegas for first place. Still has a chance. They uh, have still have a chance to win the President's Trophy. Um, but what happens? And actually, Minnesota still has a chance to catch Colorado and earn home ice advantage in the first round. But mm-hmm. to me, if you're Vegas and Colorado, do you want to play Minnesota in the first round? And I think the answer is no. And I wonder what you make of the Wild because for me, there's the team that yeah, I. They've been so good, and are they the dark horse? Are they the well, team that could wreak havoc in this playoff? Well, game? we know of those two cup contenders. Which one really wants to avoid Minnesota? It has to be Vegas because yeah, the record sure. against them this year. <laughs> I don't think Colorado fears anyone. I, no, I think the I Avs think have right. that. The Avs remind me a bit of a. I don't want to say it because it's too <laughs> lofty a comparison, but the, there's a certain cockiness that, that I love about the avalanche and the way they play. And I think they feel this is their year now, you know, let's see if they're, if, you know, they get healthy enough too, but, um, you know, let's not forget the blues and all this, uh, you know, like the 2019 champs are just sitting there saying, all right, we got in, it was ugly, but we got in now what? Uh, so I don't know that, you know, I think we're going to get Colorado Vegas in the second round, but I don't know that you want to sit there and say, boy, St. Louis would be that much easier a first round matchup than Minnesota. I, I think it's flip a coin, quite frankly, just based on the Blues know-how, you know, from the last couple of years. Yeah. Okay. So let me, we'll leave, and we're going to take a break here and we'll talk some headlines after this. But, and of course, we are going to have Doug Wilson join us. Um, what kind of, 
Like it's been a weird, it's been a weird season for the Blues, and yes, all kinds of like especially on the blue line, all banked up. You know, it took Tory Krug a long time to, you know, he basically comes in to fill the hole created with Alex Petrangelo going to Vegas. It took him a long time, and then he got hurt. Whole blue line's been banged up. But listen, this is a team that slept walked through the round robin, and then really sort of slept walked through the series against Vancouver, and were one and done. They've slept walked through an injury-plagued shortened season. They have, at times, looked quite disinterested and undisciplined. What kind of pressure is on Craig Berube to have this team? Like, I don't care whether it, well, I don't, I don't have a dog in the fight, but it, to me, it's how this Blues team shows against either Vegas or Colorado. But how important is it that this team puts up the kind of fight that they should? Because I'm with you. This is a team, you know, Jay Bomeister's gone, Krug's in, Petrangelo's out, but this is really the same team that won the cup in, in 19 in game seven in Boston was a mm. magical run. Like there's, they, they should be better than they are. And how delicious would that be? Alex Petrangelo and the Golden Knights, if they play <laughs> St. Louis, <laughs> as far as storylines go. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're, the Blues have been a complete enigma really, but I just feel like you always give the benefit of out to a team that's won it all, the, the, you know, the, and not that long ago. Um, you know, I, I, I think they have that ability to, to take their pound of flesh. So I, I think both those series, no matter who ends up where, are going to be compelling. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, all right. L- l- listen, I, I can't wait till next week because we'll be in it and we'll start to see some of the playoff storylines really unfolding. Uh, can't wait for that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ah, you know what I love about the Buffalo Sabres, uh, Pierre, is they're the team that continue, they keep on giving, right? They are, they're not very good on the ice and they, you know, they, but it, it barely a week goes by that there is not some sort of headline, breaking news, uh, talking point from the Buffalo Sabres. And this week, no different at all. And of course, with the uh, discussion, um, um, Sam Reinhart too. P- people, I think, sort of it gets buried with the Jack Eichel stuff, but the the co- the comments um, from both Sam Reinhart and and Jack Eichel in their exit media interviews really leaves uh, you know the feeling that neither of them particularly <laughs> see their future as being in Buffalo. And boy, talk about pressure on a rookie GM and Kevin Adams who. You know, he's got to decide on his coach. Is it Don Granato or what What does he do coaching-wise? But now he has to confront really a twin-headed beast in, in what to do with arguably his, his two best players. Well, and before I get into that, can I say for the millionth time that if the Pagulas are listening, I'm sure they are. they got to be oh, listening. Well, who, who wouldn't? If there's <laughs> ever a time for the last time, it's the last time I mention it, to bring in uh, a John Davidson or a Jim Rutherford Yep. Or a Ray Shiro, yes. a veteran executive as president of hockey operations to help shepherd a young Kevin Adams. This, like, it's screaming that. It's screaming that right now. Uh, but anyway, we'll see if that falls on deaf ears. 
<laughs> um, I'm with yeah. you though. That's a, no, it's it's absolutely true. And and re, and just before you answer this, the question is: there a more critical time in this franchise's history? Right? Like, I, I, you know, <laughs> I know there's been a few. There's been know, a few. So. I know, but anyway, this is uh, this yeah, is I know. I mean, this is pivotal. And you know, it, it's unfortunate because as we tape this, Kevin Adams hasn't spoken yet. So it'd be interesting to see how he responds to all this, right? I mean, he may come out and say, you know, we're keeping Jack Eagle. I don't know. So yeah. we, we, this might sound dated. For a second week in a row, <laughs> we finished taping last week. An hour later, the Rangers fired everyone. Um, but uh, you know, um, you Eichel? know, I think I, you know Eichel's camp uh, hasn't officially asked for a trade. I can tell you, but I don't know if they need to at this point. Like I think Eichel's comments were pretty transparent, um, and I get his frustration. I mean, stinks. You know, first of all, the whole situation with his neck injury and delayed surgery, and and seemingly not being on the same page as the Sabers. I mean, that that's gonna that's gonna piss off a lot of players. But obviously, compounded with what he's lived in Buffalo, with the losing. Now, um, you know, he he owns some of that losing. <laughs> he's the best player in the team. So yeah. has he has he done enough since he's been there to, you know, to help shepherd this team along? But. I think he gets dealt, and and because his no move kicks in in a year, I think if you're the Sabers, you got to do it this off season. I don't think you can wait, right? Because you don't want him to have the hammer. You can trade him anywhere you want now, which is the kind of flexibility you're going to need, given that he's got fifty million dollars left on his contract, ten million a year, and a flat cap environment. As as good a player as he is, that that's still a reality that some teams just literally can't afford him. So. Um, yeah, I think it happens this off season. Yeah, I, I, like I was going to ask you, like, can you, can you get over this, right? Like, can you, you know, can you, you know, as 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 you know, the, the words have been spoken, and we know, even you know, as you alluded to before the start of this season, there were discussions about Jack Eichel's future in Buffalo and all, all those kinds of things. So, so maybe that ship has sailed. But but is it also not fair that you know whatever Kevin Adams does? There's no trade that brings back a Jack Eichel. You don't fill that void, right? He's already an established NHL player. I know he's just 24. Um, and so basically, what you are is you're you're trying to collect, you know, assets and pieces that someday become something that helps form a contending team in Buffalo. But it's you don't. It's not something, you know, it's not an elite player out and an elite player in probably, right? I mean, it's just hard to imagine those are the kinds of well, deals that would be out there. Well, uh, depends how you go after it. Like, I think if you, uh, for example, you know, I think the LA Kings are going to investigate this. Yep. I think that's more prospects oriented, yes. Right. But if the Minnesota Wild investigate this, as our own Michael Russo wrote about, and I talked about it inside our trading yesterday, I think you can get more NHL, you know, NHL players in that deal. Right. You know, right. like, for example, if you're Minnesota, would you do Fiala, Dumba, and a first for Eichel? And if you're Buffalo, would you even look at that? Mm-hmm. No, that's a good so, point. But that's an example of a deal that, that you know, that uh, that would help the Sabres more now. Although, if, if you go down the road with L.A., it might actually be the better deal, but it requires more patience. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's that's the real interesting thing for sure. Yeah. All right. Who has the greater challenge ahead of them, Kevin Adams 
or Yarmul Kekalainen, who, uh, as you and I know, were was a guest not too long ago on Two Man Advantage. Oh, you know, just so much respect for Yarmul. He's such, just such an honest guy. And we know now, uh, since uh, you and I taped last, that um, John Tortorella and the Columbus Blue Jackets have agreed to part ways. And right. uh, which so we, that, we we felt that's where that was exactly. too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was kind of obvious, I think. Yeah, but like this summer is. It's it's it, there's there's a Yarmo Kekalainen's to do list is fairly lengthy. He now has to find someone to come in and and replace John Tortorella, and so lots of nuance there because what do you want in terms of a personality and experience, all those kinds of things. You've got Patrick Line in RFA, who uh, I think I saw somewhere he's not he's sick of hockey, he's not going to the worlds, and even though he did say, I thought his positive comments about being in Columbus were. Were, must have been encouraging to fans there, but still have to bring him under contract. And then, as you have alluded to and written about and spoken about um, so eloquently, the two, the towers on the back end, Seth Jones entering a contract year, a year from now, he'll be a UFA or potentially UFA, and Zach Wierenski, who uh, is also on an expiring contract, then a year from now would be a restricted free agent, so critical for this team. Um, I think for both of them, but certainly for Seth Jones to to lock them up long term. And if not, what then? I'm not sure it's overstating to say this might be the most important summer in Columbus Blue Jackets history. Yep, I agree with that. And with all due respect to Rinsky, with all due respect to Patrick Liney, with all due respect to whoever is the next coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, nothing, nothing compares to the importance of what happens with Seth Jones. That stands on its own. Okay? Yeah. Um, I, I cannot put enough importance on what's going to happen here. And, you know, I think we have to be careful to read too much into Seth Jones' comments this week. I mean, he, I think people raised – I know I got texts from a couple of the other teams when he said, well, I got another year of my deal. We'll see after that. Let's be careful. Uh, you know, I think he probably didn't know how to answer his questions about his future because he doesn't know yet what he's going to do. But he may very well sign a long-term extension, right? Let's not close any doors yet. Yeah. Um you know, I know that his agent, Pat Brisson, who has a ton of experience and, of course, Columbus fans probably don't want to hear his name because he's Pierre Dubois' agent. But but Pat Brisson is uh, is scheduled to to uh, catch up with Seth Jones by the end of this week here and, and start to game plan. But it's very simple. The, the Jackets obviously can't have Seth Jones showing up to training camp not having signed an extension. You're not starting the year with him on an expiring deal and playing the Artemi Panarin game all over again. Yeah. Um, so he either signs an extension this offseason, and I think Yarmo Kekalinen is going to be incredibly aggressive. In fact, I'm told that he's already reached out recently to Pat Brisson to say, let me know when you can talk. So I think they, you know, the Jackets are going to make this priority number one. So either he signs an extension or, or after conferring with, Pat Brisson and doing a lot of thinking over the next few weeks, maybe that Seth Jones decides he's not going to, and we know what that means. So it's either an extension or a trade between now and training camp for Seth Jones. And yeah. uh, with all due respect to Dougie Hamilton, who would be the number one defenseman on the open market as a UFA if he doesn't resign with Carolina, frankly, with all due respect to Jack Eichel up front, if Seth Jones is on the trade market, there is no more significant player in my mind in terms of the impact he can bring to your team than Seth Jones in the offseason. Yeah. No, I, I you're you're absolutely right. And and 
you know, I, I'm fortunate over the years that spent a fair amount of time with Seth Jones. I was at his house in his rookie year in Nashville at Christmas time doing some pre-Olympic stuff and uh, spent some time with him uh, at his place in Columbus. And he and I spent some time together at the All-Star Game in St. Louis a year ago. And he's, uh, you know, such an impressive young man. And, and I, you know, I don't know what happens with Nick Foligno in the offseason. Maybe he circles back and returns to Columbus. But listen... It, if Seth Jones is is back in Columbus, if he signs the extension, I I, I would be absolutely shocked if he's not wearing the C. That's who, and he and whether he mm-hmm. does or not, he is he is captain material, and he is he's such an important part of that team, and and uh, and to me vital for that that team moving forward. And and I'm I am fascinated to see how it works because uh, he's man, he's the guy kind of guy you want to build your team around. I'm sure Yarmo Kekalainen feels that way, but uh, yeah, critical, critical oh, yes. bumps coming up. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's the one right there. That's, that's the player. That's the moment. That's everything really. And, and frankly, every team in the league is keeping an eye on it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Before we take a break and uh, chat with Doug Wilson, GM of the San Jose Sharks and Hall of Famer. He hasn't had, well, I'm curious, you know, he needs to get into the Hall. No I was going to say, Hall of Fame. Hall, Hall of Fame uh, what do they call him before they go in? Inductee? Inductee, yeah. Uh, yeah, member of the class. But right. yeah, I don't know what the term is. But technically, is. Yeah. it doesn't get enshrined until he physically shows up for his induction, right? Right, Which, uh, yeah. Hopefully, if Canada can get its act together, we'll be in November. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, uh, before now, we break, now. Though, okay. Before we break, I know where you were born, buddy. <laughs> I know. All right. Before we take this break, though, there are a couple other. What? What else? Uh, you and I, uh, I think, were also, you know, not speculating, but but believed that all in a similar fashion to what happened in Columbus uh, with Rick Tockett and the Arizona Coyotes agreeing to part company there. Um, I don't think there's a huge surprise to that part of it, but. You know, now interesting to see what the Coyotes do. This will be Bill Armstrong's first uh, NHL coaching hire as GM in, in Arizona. And I'm curious to see what happens with Rick Toppin because to me, uh, such a, you know, to me, he's a guy that can, you know, maybe he coaches in Columbus. Maybe he, you know, what whatever happens with in New York with the Rangers or whatever. But I got to tell you, I, you know, Rick Tockett can coach my team any day. Yeah, he'll have options. He's really well regarded and, um, you know, and this was the right decision by both uh, guys here. I think Bill Armstrong knows what he has to do with this roster. They got to get younger. They don't have a whole lot coming in the pipeline. They don't have a lot of draft picks. So there's some tough times ahead, but it's the necessary work that's going to have to get done. And, you know, I think Rick Tockett, you know, wants to coach a competitive team. And and so, and Bill Armstrong should have his own coach. I mean, all this is sort of organic. I This was a really... I think believable parting of the ways with both guys shaking hands and having tons of respect for each other. Right. But it makes sense. I mean, you know, um, I, I think you'll see Bill Armstrong look at a lot of up and coming coaches, um, you know, whether that's a, uh, you know, Rocky Thompson or Nate Lehman, uh, you know, all those guys, Elaine Lambert, keep waiting for him to get a shot, right? Barry Trotz, a longtime assistant. Uh, I think all those guys will be in the mix. Uh, you know, I, you wonder if Todd Nelson will get a shot at some point. Uh, uh, you know, Pascal Vincent in the, you know, in the Jets organization, you wonder when he's going to get his, his look. He's done a lot of good work there. 
So there are guys, I think that, and I have a, this weird feeling that over the next couple of years, while obviously, you, you know, the, the, the star established coaches like Tockett, like Gallant, you know, are, are obviously going to find their, find their next gig. But I also think you're going to see a bit of a trend of all those names I mentioned that teams yeah. wanting to take a chance on the next, on the next guy. Right. Yep. I think you're going to see a bit of that as well. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it, you, you, it, there's always the ebb and flow, but it, you know, like, uh, you know, Jared Bednar had to wait a long time to get his opportunity, but you know, is there, you know, I think has very quickly established himself as one of the top coaches in the NHL in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. I, I think, you know, the, <clears throat> there is always a pendulum sort of element to, to these things, right? Sometimes it's, oh, we want the guy with, with a name and an NHL resume, and then it's, okay, wait a minute, I, we want a young, you know, we want somebody, you know, who's who's charting his own course and has, you know, isn't known. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. I think it'll be interesting to see. And, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, Arizona doesn't spend a lot of money. So maybe they're trending towards something that is, you know, a coach who can grow with this team, you know, sort of, you know, sort of grows up with the, that young core of, of, of players, Jacob Chitron and Kristen Dorak and all the rest there. So Makes all sense. Right. Yeah. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When you're trying to grow a business, the caliber of person you bring in to help you do that is really important. And LinkedIn makes it really easy to interview the right people for the role, quality people. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. 2.5% million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NHL show. That's linkedin.com slash NHL show to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, my friend. Now, before we get to our promised guest, Doug Wilson, waiting in the wings, we referred to this before, but second week in a row, New York Rangers making news, at least this week, they made it in the middle of our taping segment. And so we will, in fact, uh, circle back to um, some breaking news again out of the New York Ranger camp where uh, the Rangers announced that uh, David Quinton, head coach, will no longer be coaching that team, that uh, Chris Drury will be looking for uh, a new head coach. And I'm not sure it's a huge surprise, but uh, for me, Pierre, this just tells you that Chris Drury is not dipping his toe into his new dual role as president and GM, that he has come in, he's got a plan, and it is underway. And I, I wonder if you are surprised or a level of surprise that the, this is the decision that Chris Jury's made within the first week of taking over. I got a funny text from a team executive from another team who said uh, three weeks ago he would have he said to me, that Rangers team is on its way. Great rebuild, great foundation. What's not to like? And since then, they fired the president, the GM, and that coach. So, so there is that. Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, James Dolan 
Um, but, you know, Chris Jury obviously wants his own coach. It'll be interesting now to see who, who goes in there. Um, you know, I wonder if our old, uh, our old pal that we've had on the podcast, Roar Gallant, gets a call. Um, I think the Rangers are going to talk to a number of guys, in my understanding. But I wouldn't be shocked if Gallant is one of the names that we hear uh, linked to the Rangers, among others. But I think you'll, I think you'll start to hear Gallant's name a bit more as he gets ready to go coach Canada, the World Championships in Latvia. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people obviously mentioning John Tortorella, uh, Rick Tockett now is a free agent. Uh, so, I mean, I think all those guys would be possibilities for the Rangers. What about, uh, a guy I know pretty well and you do too as well, uh, crossing paths in Quebec. What about, uh, Bob Hartley coming off a, uh, a championship in the, uh, KHL with uh, Avangard Omsk, uh, championship for Bob Hartley there, Stanley Cup uh, winning coach, but also a guy who would know Chris Drury quite well from uh, their shared history. Eh, just in, I, I, I think he, I think you're right. I, I think my guess is that Chris Drury will cast a pretty wide net, but it, it will be interesting to see, you know, as time moves forward, the kinds of the kinds of coaches and the names that we hear, but also the kinds of coaches that Chris Drury is is going to be looking at. And you have to imagine, you know, David Quinn came up out of the college ranks and and I think did a nice job in the initial stages of that Ranger rebuild. But do you feel that this is now a job that will go to someone with an NHL pedigree because this is a team looking to take not just another step, but I think a rather significant step back into playoff contention and, and being a Stanley Cup contender? Yeah, I don't think I, I will predict without knowing for sure that I don't think this job goes to a first-time NHL coach. That it'll be someone with experience, yeah, I, because I think the timing is right for that. But I tell you, there's a lot going on in the coaching world. Now we have five coaching openings, right? Buffalo, Arizona, Columbus, Seattle. Of course, we've never hired a coach yet. Uh, and we've got a lot of names out there. You know, uh, we mentioned Gallant, Bruce Boudreaux, uh, Tortorella, Tockett. Uh, it's an interesting time, um, you know, when you look at everything that's out there. And then you get the next wave of guys that, like, I think Arizona is going to go younger and, and in fact, go, you know, to a first-timer. Um, so, a lot going on on the coaching front. Uh, it'll be fascinating to follow. Absolutely, my friend. Uh, and uh, I'm assuming that when you and I chat next week, the Rangers will do something else right in the middle of our taping as well. So I'm looking forward to that <laughs> part of it, actually, two weeks in a row. But uh, uh, <laughs> good job by you. As promised, we are now joined by San Jose Sharks GM and Hall of Famer, Doug Wilson. Doug, how are you doing today? And does it? You and I talked actually after you became a Hall of Famer, even though it's not been official. Is it? Is it still resonate for you when someone says, "Oh, Hall of Famer Doug Wilson"? What does it still sound interesting in your ears? Oh, it, it catches me off guard because it, I'm not sure it's still sunk in. I mean, it's it's been such a unique year with uh, so many different things that. Um, um, you know, I remember it like it was yesterday when getting the call from Lanny and with my family and my, my wife being on the call and all that. But it's uh, with all the other things that have been going on in all our lives and uh, and this year, it, it's kind of been pushed to the background a little bit. But uh, hearing you say it, it's uh, my heart jumps a little bit. My heart beat is uh, spikes a touch. 
Right. And I guess if, if my country here can get its act together, Doug, uh, will actually open up again at some point and, uh, <laughs> and we will have the induction ceremony in November, hopefully, if all is, if all goes well. Have you, have you, uh, has the Hockey Hall of Fame stayed in touch with, with everyone from that class uh, just to let you guys know what's going on? Yeah, I think they keep us updated. But uh, again, you know, it, you know, we all talk about trying to get back to normalcy, whatever that may be. And I, I think that uh, we all can't wait when that happens. And yeah, I mean, the Hall of Fame thing would take place at that point and hopefully uh, um, how they've done it in the past. But you know, as I say, just right now, living and, and revisiting back the last 12 to 14 months, it's still uh, it's still hard to believe what everybody's had to go through and experience. Well, Dougie, and it's a good segue because, you know, what uh, what you have gone through, uh, particularly with the Sharks, is is really unusual for you. I was looking back at it today. And it's, re- it's really outstanding. And, and and I'm not sure people really understand the the whole breadth of what has been accomplished in San Jose. And you took over the job as GM in May of 2003, if my information is correct. And since that time, Sharks have missed the playoffs three times. It's it's unbelievable when you think of it. But of course, two of those have been in back-to-back seasons last year and, and now this season. And I wonder what it's been like for you uh, after, you know, so long where you have been a perennial playoff team to sort of whether you've had to pivot how you view, you know, the offseason and your team and how you assess things. Uh, I wonder what that's been like for you, because you're, it's it's really uncharted territories for you as a GM and for the franchise as a whole. Well, it is. And then you throw into um, really what this last 12 months has been for everybody. Um, and we made a, a, a clear decision uh, with all the things that we were going to have to deal with, you know, the pandemic, the, um, you know, our guys basically having nine to 10 months off, no exhibition games, new coaching staff that we would use this time to reset and replenish. And, uh, um, you know, I've got to tell you that when I look back, um, what an amazing job our coaches and trainers and particularly in players getting through this whole journey of this year, I'm really proud of them for what they've done because I, I don't think anybody's truly equipped to deal with a pandemic and it impacts different people in different ways. But, uh, you know, for us, we made a commitment to what we were going to do this year. Uh, we stayed committed to it with, uh, you know, allowing many of our veterans who hadn't played in 10, 10 and a half months to reestablish their game, to reset our culture. Um, big thing was to replenish our system where we've added a lot of picks and, uh, um, both on the last draft and this upcoming draft and we have cap space and things like that. But the other big part of it was to really integrate younger players and, our players have really embraced um, creating the environment for younger players to come in and play. So we had to make that decision, which we did. We committed to it, stayed with it. And uh, and now the work we do between now and next uh, September and October is crucial. But uh, just keeping our guys healthy, not just physically, but mentally through this year has been been a challenge, uh, as, as it has been for everybody and their families and things like that. So it's, uh, um, it's a time, hopefully, that none of us ever have to experience again. Yeah, no kidding, Doug. And I was going to ask you about that, that, you know, for fans that are a lot of fans from other markets listening to our podcast that may have forgotten, but, you know, what was that like? I mean, if you would go back to camp and the start of the year, you guys are the only NHL team that doesn't get to be home. And and the impact that that had on, on players and staff from a mental health standpoint, I mean, that had to be really difficult. And, and I, I think it really speaks to, I think, how Bob Bugner and his staff, you know, got – 
you know, the players through that in terms of the team staying competitive through all that. But what, what was that like for you to, you know, to have the organization start in Arizona that way for, uh, you know, really the first couple months almost, right? Well, it was difficult. You know, you, you go back, you know, you look at the seven teams that didn't get to restart last season and it's not really by coincidence. None of them made the playoffs this year right. because it's not only not playing for 10 and a half months, not having a training camp. And then in our case, we had to leave our market, had to leave home and then start uh, the first 14 of the 16 games on the road and then not be with their families. And on top of that, our AHL team had to do the same thing. They couldn't be here. So we couldn't really uh, uh, interact between both teams. So I was really concerned about our team uh, at the end of those 14, 15 games because there was a lot going on um, as everybody's families were dealing with with things and as I say, in all of our community and society. And um, it was it, it was a challenge. And um, I think it ended up draining our tanks a little bit. The guys really battled hard. I think we got to around April 9th or 10th. We're still in a playoff race. But I think the guys just hit a wall. And uh, um, you know, that's just a reality. And, and I look at our players and we had one to be on the road, one to be gone. We had very strict protocols in our county, which I understand. Um, um, but what we're trying to do is use this time now, uh, hopefully get back to the cycle of, of having a normal summer training, have a normal training camp, have a normal schedule next year and, and be back right where we want to be uh, come next September and October. One of the players that uh, that certainly has had a, uh, a tumultuous season uh, is Evander Kane. And I, I, I read with interest his conversation with our Ryan Clark uh, earlier this week, uh, a very candid uh, conversation with Evander talking about some of um, the now well-publicized financial issues that, that uh, he has uh, been going through and, and, and what lies ahead for him. And I was just curious what, you know, as an organization, as a GM of a team, what's, what's, your role like with Evander with something like that. And listen, he had this 49 points in 55 games. He was a plus player. Um, I just wonder what, what that relationship is like and how you help a player like that through something that is, you know, is obviously very difficult and on top of the other societal difficulties that we've had with the pandemic. We have to be there for every player and understand the unique things that they're dealing with. You know, we had uh, other players who were dealing with some family issues and health issues and all that. And you just want to let them know that the rink is the sanctuary. You know, you come here, you love the game, you put the work in. Um, you know, Evander, uh, you know, dealing with uh, some of the things he was dealing with while in the middle of a pandemic. Um, uh, and I thought that article was really well written and, and for Evander to be as open and honest about all the things he was dealing with and how he dealt with them. Um, and I keep the relationships I have with each player in complete confidence and we try to guide them and help them and counsel them uh, to the best of our ability. Um, but as I say, you know, this year just magnified whatever was going on in people's lives and, and for Evander to stay as focused as he did and as disciplined on the ice, uh, I think he really did a great job of, you know, playing hockey whistle to whistle and had a really good year. Um, you know, when we talked about, guys reestablishing their games. I mean, we had players that literally haven't hadn't played in 10 and a half months. Some are coming back from injuries. Some had to deal with, as they say, uh, you know, family situations with, with COVID and, and other things. And, um, you know, whether you're 35 or, or 21, I mean, everybody had to deal with things that is just new and unique to everybody. And I'm proud of Evander for, for his focus and what he did. I'm, I'm proud of the young guys in particular that came in, you know, that the Ferraros, the Nishoffs, and the list goes on. 
Um, but they came in and, and they just focused in on what they could manage. Um, there's so many things we couldn't control in life and um, getting through this and how our group got through it and how they took care of each other and, and really took the culture level back up to the level that we're expected here. Um, I'm proud of them, coaches and players. Doug, go back to the reset of the organization. I think it's interesting what, you know, what you guys are doing. I, I think other teams look at it in the same way too, that the traditional full blown rebuild where you go scorched earth and go all youth and, and have a long, painful rebuild, um, which, you know, in many ways is what Detroit is doing right now after 25 straight years in the playoffs. But other teams have kind of gone the reset uh, route that you guys are going. You know, Boston's done it really well. Uh, you know, Montreal has done the reset where they've got a lot of younger players in their lineup now, but obviously, it's, you know, Price and Weber, et cetera. I, I, you know, it, it, it's an interesting way to go about it. it. Essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're wanting to get younger and younger while trying to be competitive with, you know, some of your veteran guys like Burns and Carlson and, and Logan Couture, et cetera. Yeah. And I think you look at, you want to have a blend. I mean, I think right now we're probably about the fifth youngest team in the league, but you also have quality veterans and, and um, you know, you want to compete. Every, every team in this league has to deal with the flat cap. Um, you know, the things that we talked about and, and the reset and replenish have to be connected. We needed to, uh, replenish our, our young players. We needed to replenish our draft picks. Uh, we utilized our cap space this year. I think it, it surprised a lot of people that we had 12 and a half million in cap space at the trade deadline and we were able to utilize that. Um, so we think we've, uh, you know, transitioning our team uh, to be able to be right back at it in September with a lot of our core guys being at, at key points in their career. Logan Couture, um, you know, is, is 32. Um, Eric Carlson is uh, is 30. I mean, Kaner is 29. I mean, people forget uh, Timo Meyer is only 24. Uh, Tommy Hurdle, uh, you go all the way through the lineup. We have a team that's really transitioned, I think, from being the 23rd youngest team in the league to the fifth youngest team, and, and that will uh, help going forward. But to compete in this league, you also, as I say, have to have um, I hate using the term assets, but you have to have things to be able to explore the opportunities that are coming. We know that we've got to address a couple areas in our team, but we think we're positioned well with the draft picks now that we've acquired. Uh, we had nine last draft. We'll probably have nine or ten this upcoming draft. We've added some young players. We've got cap space. Um, so we have the ability to you know, get to the poker table and, and uh, explore all the opportunities to add to our team. We feel that um, it's never acceptable to not compete to make the playoffs. And while this was a reset and replenish this year, we still wanted our guys to compete, and they did, and I'm proud of them. We, what we do between now and next September is really important. I've got to add some things to this team. We have the ability to do that. The players need to get back on top of their cycle of training and, and be ready to go, and the young players have really done a great job of growing. I mean, we've had, I think we've used 41, 42 players this year, and the experience that they've had uh, is really going to help us because it's not just where they're at today. It's where they're going to be come September and October. And we got a lot of them going to the world championships. I think we had 27 players invited to the world championships. So, you know, some aren't going because of uh, family reason and, and what we've gone through, but the majority of the young guys are. So uh, our work is just starting and, and we're looking forward to, uh, to the opportunities ahead of us between now and now and October. It, it strikes me, Doug, that, you know, one of the, 
if there's a silver lining to it, and you mentioned the number of players that suited up for you this year, is that a they get the opportunity to, um, you know, maybe a role that they wouldn't have otherwise have had a chance to to try on, and it also gives you and the coaching staff a chance to assess maybe ahead of a training camp, you know, where where these young players might be, and I wonder how you imagine the competition will be at training camp, and maybe are there you know, a couple of young players that you have seen in the last month or two months where you're like, geez, I wonder what that will look like come training camp in September. And I wonder what kind of challenge there will be for roster spots, you know, given their, given what they've shown. Well, there is a lot of competition and the job Roy Sommer has done historically over years with the, our farm team has been tremendous. He's put about 150, 155 players in the NHL. And you got to remember that, you know, the AHL only played 35 games this year. And some of the younger players, uh, you know, got stuck on taxi squads and things like that. We wanted to make sure these guys were ready when their opportunity came. We've got two young goalies that we really like. We've got some young defensemen, not just the Ferraros and Nishas, but we got about four or five more of those guys coming. Uh, some guys that we've actually uh, um, just signed in the last day or two also. We got a bunch of forwards. Um, you know, the Leonard's and the Gregor's, the Shomoleskis, the, the Blitchfields, the, the VLs, the True, the uh, Chekovich's. I mean, the list goes on. But we also added some players, you know, the Rudy Balsers. We brought him back. Um, uh, Alex Barabanov has come in and done a great job. So there will be a boatload of competition. The players can count. They look at it. They also know that we've got young guys coming, whether it be the Bordelos of the world and the Wiseblots and Robbins. So um, competition is healthy. They know uh, what we're expecting um, and, and the way they prepare. Uh, it was really difficult because, um, you know, some of the some of them didn't get to play games this year. They didn't get exhibition games at all. Um, we had a new coaching staff that was put together that had to start 14 of the first 16 games on the road without having the last change while integrating a system. So every, every corner we went around, there was a challenge. Um, and I'm really proud of you know, the, the veteran guys for making sure the younger guys were welcomed and up to speed when they came in. And uh, that's always been a, a big part of our game is the veterans taking care of the younger guys. And our guys really did a good job in that area. And Doug, you mentioned the, the cap space that you guys have, which can be used in a lot of different ways. And uh, I can't recall in all the years that we've had a cap system since 2005, that cap space has been as valuable as it is today in large part, I think, because of the pandemic and, and, the, and the flat cap and the cap staying at 81.5 for a while now or around that neighborhood anyway. Um, and, you know, you use that to your advantage at the deadline, getting those two draft picks as you as you became that third team in a couple of deals. Uh, Detroit did a similar thing. Um, but, you know, a lot of people criticize Washington for the price they paid and the deal that they made with Detroit. But I think it's, it, it, to be honest, I think it's a reflection of the marketplace and, and how hard it is to move money. And that's the price that Washington had to pay. I actually think the Caps did a smart thing in that deal. But I'm curious when you look at your cap space, and I know you can't, you know, give us all your plays here because uh, you, <laughs> you have a playbook that you keep to yourself. But, but there's two ways, right? The cap space can either be used, you know, to take advantage of teams that need help that way that have to make moves. But also, clearly, to address holes in your roster. So how do you think you'll balance those two different facets of having cap space? Well, it started uh, at the beginning of this season, uh, last season, that we knew that we wanted to, uh, one, we weren't going to move draft picks or any younger players for short-term help. 
we, we, we stated that that was part of our plan. So I wasn't going to move our first round pick or any top young players to add anything to our team at the, the trade deadline. So what we were doing is trying to build as much cap space as we could to be able to utilize that at the trade deadline. We did. We added some picks. We added a player, uh, uh, Alexander Barabanov, in, in the same type of concept. Um, but we also know that it was an expansion year. So mm-hmm. playing a lot of young players also allowed us to uh, be very well positioned for the expansion draft where we don't have to, you don't have to protect those young players. So the things that we accomplished uh, were replenishing, giving us the position to utilize our cap space, but also now we're positioned to add, you know, a couple of the key things that we we do have to add to our team. You know, I've got to address our goaltending area and probably the three C spot. We think there'll be uh, quite a few players available in those roles. Uh, we think we have um, the ingredients, as I say, cap space, picks young players to be able to address those things. And, um, um, and we took that into consideration that this is probably a good year um, to go through what we went through. If, if ever there's a time, I guess, in hindsight to say, you know, if you're going to deal with a pandemic and going to do a reset, I guess, bundle it all together. Right. Every team has to go through pain at some point. Um, so we've tried to use these challenges as opportunities. And we think we're set now uh, to explore uh, the opportunities this offseason to to add to our team, grow our young players, allow our veterans to get back into that cycle and uh, and be ready to go come September, October. But cap space is important. Uh, we're able to utilize it at this past trade deadline. We think we have uh, um, the space and things to be able to add the things we need to add to our group uh, this offseason. Doug, we're going to let you go in a, in a moment, but uh, I want you to put on, you can put on your fan hat or your scouting hat, but I'm curious, as you step back, as we prepare for the playoffs, and of course, you have seen a lot of those uh, West Division teams. What what are you looking forward to with the West Division playoffs? Is there a handicapping you can give us or something you're particularly looking forward to seeing as those four teams move forward? A lot of of narratives, lots of drama, lots of interesting stories there, and you've seen it up close this year. What do you you make of of the West Division playoffs? Well, there's some really talented teams. I mean, you look at Colorado, you look at Vegas, you look at St. Louis, Minnesota. I think because of the uniqueness of this year, you want teams to be healthy. Um, you know, you, you worry about the way the schedule has been. And while teams didn't have to deal with some of the things we dealt with, they had to deal with, you know, their own circumstances. And, uh, um, you know, what you want to see is the teams playing their game with the health of all their players. And uh, um, you hope just the wear and tear and the, the uh, um, the baggage of dealing with this pandemic. I mean, you look at teams last year in the playoffs, there were some upsets. There were some things where, you know, some teams handled it better than others. And it's just such a unique, challenging year. Um, look at the divisions. The, the, you know, they were different. A lot of things returned back to what they could be. Um, you just want to see good hockey. You want to see teams that have put the work in, have all their players uh, available to them. And, and you want to see the game played well because it's uh, – you know, the fans want to see that. And you know, we, we look at, and we play against, we had two games against Colorado the other day, and I think they're one of the most talented teams in the league, and we played really well against them. But you sit back and you you take a look at the pain they had to go through, you know, to to be able to get the the McKinnons and the Landeskogs and the Ranches and the Makars and all that. And then you see them, you know, come to their fruition as, as having a heck of a team. So it's, uh, um, I think it's exciting to, to see the playoffs. You know, we, don't accept easily not being in the playoffs, but we're 
Uh, it's something that we, we haven't been accustomed to and we don't want to get accustomed to, but we'll be watching. Well, before we let you go here, Doug, I, I, as a person who's covered a lot of playoff games in your barn uh, over the years, uh, there's an old gray beard about, about to be ready to play some playoff games with the Toronto Maple Leafs that I know you'll be keeping an eye on. And I wondered if I get your thoughts on, on Joe Thornton. I know you have a special relationship with him and, and uh, you know, I'm sure you'll be curious to see how things work out for him here. The Leafs uh, having had a, an excellent year and, and they, and they play the Habs in the first round, which I don't have to tell you, it's been a long time since 1979 that, uh, that we've been waiting for that series to happen again. Well, Joe Thornton is a special, not only hockey player, he's a special human being. He and I text each other quite a bit and we were sharing some stories the last couple of days and I'll be cheering for him. I mean, he is, um, um, he epitomizes what this game of hockey is all about. He loves the game. He never changed since I first met him in 1997 at the World Juniors. Um, he cares. He's just, um, he's everything that's right about this game. So um, you're right. I'll be cheering for him. Um and uh, you know, what he's meant to this organization, uh, not only as a player, as a person, what he's meant as a friend and a, and a person that I have tremendous respect for. Um, you know, I, I hope fans can get back because I know his mom and dad and, and wife and kids you know, to not be able to be at games and things like that. And for all of us in this game, I can't wait till we get back some level of normalcy and, and get to have fans in the building because it, it just changed the whole dynamic of our sport. So for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you see Jumbo give me a huge hug for me because he's he's a special special guy. <laughs> he, he might and, break me. He might, he might break me if I try to hug him. But uh. <laughs> he might lose you in the beard somewhere. <laughs> well, and it's funny. You know, the other guy too, the Patty Marlowe. It was such yes. a privilege to be yes. able to celebrate yes. his incredible accomplishment. And I, I was talking to him this morning about it, and I said, I still don't think you understand the enormity of what you've done. And the guy played the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I played against Gordie Howe, and I said, Patrick, it is absolutely incredible what you've accomplished. And and just beating Gordie Howe's record is one thing, but look at all the numbers and points and how he's represented this organization. And uh, we're proud to be able to treat an iconic player like that with the respect that he he certainly deserved. Well, I'm, 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 I'm frankly jealous of Patrick Marlowe, and I'll tell you why, Doug. And I sent him a text yesterday. Because his wife, Christina, put out a tweet of the gigantic, it must be a 5,000 milliliter ball of silver oak that uh, the LA Kings, Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake sent Patrick Marlowe for breaking the record. And all I can think of is that is a mighty big bottle of silver oak. And uh, I said to Patrick, you're going to have to share that with the whole team. You can't open that just, just in your house right now. I mean, come on. Well, we can't wait to the day that we can all get together and celebrate that properly. I was with uh, Christina. And the kids in, in Vegas, and yeah. you know, and I got to give Vegas credit; they really did a, a great job. And our fans here coming back, and our our trainers and our, our staff, in, in honoring Patrick. Uh, but we can't wait till we can do it to the next level because uh, anytime you break any record that a guy by the name of Gordy Howe has, it's pretty special. Well, Doug, we had uh, um, Patrick on uh, the podcast with Pierre and I, and <clears throat> just before <clears throat> that weekend in Vegas, and um, you know, yeah, he, he, he's a guy who still, you know, he can still bring it. Uh, any? Have you had conversations about <laughs> next season? Uh, anything you want to share with us about uh, about that part of uh, the Sharks roster as it relates to Patrick Marlowe, or is that still still TBD at this stage? We have we haven't even finished our exit interviews yet. We still have <laughs> to play it, so this season is not over yet. But all I can say is, you know, Patty Marlowe, um, what he's accomplished in this game. 
um, and I mean this, it was a privilege to be able to, to witness that. And he uh, has um, a special place in this franchise's history. He really does good between him and Jumbo. It's uh, We've been blessed to have those type of people. Good stuff. All right. Doug Wilson, thank you for hanging out with us. What <clears throat> what a great uh, chance to catch up, as it always is, and appreciate your time and hope your off-season goes well and stay safe and healthy, and, and I'm sure we'll chat again soon, but thanks for coming to hang out with us. Thank you. I can't wait till we can do this in person. Yes, That's that is truth. a good thought. Thanks a lot, Doug. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Always good to catch up with uh, Doug Wilson. And um, it is strange, though, right? I mean, two playoff misses in a row, which is so, I mean, it's just counterintuitive to what we've come to expect from that franchise. And as you pointed out, you've been there over the years so many times. Are, are they close, do you think? I mean, you go back to, norm, well, it's not, I mean, normal's relative thing, but you go back to a Pacific division that will now include Seattle. Are, are the Sharks one of those teams that could jump back into the hunt for a playoff spot, do you think? They've, it's, they've well, got some road to travel, but there are a bunch of teams in the Pacific that are in the same boat. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, listen, like the LA Kings have done a more traditional rebuild, so they they obviously have some high-end uh, prospects coming in the pipeline. The Sharks are very young as well, but haven't been able to draft as high, right? So it's a different type of transition. And, you know, Doug mentioned it himself. Like, he's he's got to go out now and use that cap space to, to, to add a few things. I thought it was interesting that he – you know, he talked about the fact that the goaltending position is one of them, that he's going to go out and, and look sure. at that. And, and you know, despite having a couple of young, promising goalies, including Melnichuk, I think that the Sharks are going to be a player and try and go look at a, a free agent or maybe through the trade route and, and so on. So I think that – and he's never been – as we know, he's made some of the biggest trades in, in this league over yeah. the past 20 years. So I think the Sharks will be busy and, and try to add some pieces. But – you know, it, it was the right time for them the last two years, I think, to take a step back and, and get younger. And, 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 you know, it's painful because they're not used to it, right? They're, exactly. <laughs> you're just, it's one of those things that you're so used to that they would be in the playoffs every year forever. But I think it was the right time to do this. But we'll see. It is it is difficult what they're doing. You know, like I said, Montreal's done it. You know, um, the Habs have been competitive, but they haven't gotten it you know, where they want to do in the playoffs during this reset, right? So it's hard to, when you marry your older guys to your young guys, a lot has to go right. But, uh, yeah. you know, I think the Sharks are going at it the right way. Yeah, good stuff. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, my friend, we're just about at the end here. Good work by you so far, but don't like, I don't want you to... 
I don't want you to don't patronize just, me. Don't patronize me. I'm not patronizing. You know, you've been very good today. I'm, 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 I'm appreciative of it. And so uh, we've got some great questions on the Ask the Dorks section here today. Here's one that I'm, uh, this is from Justin Dawson, uh, JD88237. I hope that's not his pin for his bank machine. But anyway, um, <clears throat> his question, Justin's question, if Pecorine retires, what will his legacy be? And uh, like, was there anything better than uh, Pekka pitching the shutout against Carolina in his final, well, in the final regular season game, but but maybe his final game um, as a Nashville Predator, right? Because it's UC Saros is he's a machine, and he's going to be the guy in the playoffs, assuming good health. When you think of Pecorine, what do you think of? I got to tell you what I think of, and Pecorine, if he was listening to this, would laugh his head off. I was interviewing Pekka a couple of years ago while driving the TSN. I had my tape recorder on my dash. And uh, and my you know my phone on on speaker obviously on Bluetooth, but my tape recorder on on the dashboard so that I could record our, you know our interview. And in the middle of an interview with Pekka Rene, I got stopped by a cop <laughs> on the Don Valley Parkway. Oh my driving, god! Driving the TSN, and Rene is listening to the to the police officer telling me why why he stopped me because of course the police officer thought I was holding my phone, which is ah. texting and driving. Right, and I said it's not a phone; it's a tape recorder. Anyway, uh, I, I, I subsequently chatted with Pekka Rene. I had to stop the interview, obviously, and, and then about a year later, I bumped into Pekka Rene, and he laughed so hard at that oh story. Oh my god! Here he is listening to me having a conversation with the, after being pulled over. Uh, so that's what I think about uh, on a very personal level. <laughs> Pekka Rene, but what a career! And I, you know, I have no intel on whether this is it or not. Be careful not to go. Yeah, there, for but, sure. Yeah, but just such a beloved uh, legacy player in Predators history, and, and you know what he's meant to Saros too, right? I mean, it's I funny. Say, yeah, often organizations have this plan. Well, this guy's going to supplant, you know, our number one goalie over time, and they'll pass the baton, and it'll be smooth. And so often, it just doesn't work that way, right? Whether it's you know the older guy not being ready to relinquish or competitive juices who knows but this actually worked out you know this actually happened this this was Pecorine passing the baton and doing all he, he could to help Saros and it's a wonderful story yeah no and it, having spent a fair amount of time around that team uh, you just couldn't ask for <clears throat> a better human being and he's so beloved in that community and he's done such great work you know his mm-hmm. you know he and Shea Weber for years and years really carrying the torch in the community and you know at a time when <clears throat> through the a period of time when it looked like the team could move and you know Jim Belsilli was you know hovering around wanting to move them to Hamilton and and Pecorine is uh, and I not this I'm not downplaying Shea Weber I, I think Pecorine may be the single most important player in Pred's franchise history. I just, I think he is, right. he has that presence there. And uh, yeah, yeah, like I might argue maybe Shea Weber was the best player in franchise history, but, but you know, let's just call it for what it is. When, when you do an offer sheet, it's going to change your legacy with the franchise. No question. True that. All right. This one uh, from Carson Wolock at Carson Wolock. How do you think the 8-10 to 10 game regular season matchups will affect the first two rounds of the playoffs? 
Yeah, I mean, I, he raised a good point. Never thought it'd be possible for the same two teams to play like 17 games in a single year. I, I mean, and I think of uh, Nashville and Carolina, who played uh, two games to finish out the regular season, and now will you know could possibly play nine straight games against each other. And we saw this earlier in the season, actually, when Bill, uh, when Doug Armstrong was on the, yeah, St. the Louis, show. Arizona. St. Louis, Arizona. Yeah. played in a, a playoff yeah. series in the middle of the, the season. Do you yeah. think it, so do you think it impacts the level of play, the animosity? I mean, we've seen some, we already saw a lot of chippy action um, between Florida and Tampa. We saw some chippy action with Carolina and Nashville. Do you, what do you think that the impact will be, especially at the start of, of the playoff series in the next few days? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It makes the pre-scout pretty easy for the coaching staff. <laughs> you know, because it's funny over the years when teams have crossed over outside of their division, which is often the case because of the conference setup. But, uh, you know, when you when the wall card changes divisions, I mean, but, you know, the pre-scout is extremely important, especially sometimes you'll, you'll have two teams play in the first, you know, in the first round. If it's a wild card going over the other division, I haven't played since November, right? And so you have sort of this sort of intrigue about where each team is and so on. There's none of that in these playoffs. I mean, everyone's, everyone playing each other in the first round has had a, the fill of each other. And I think one, it, it, it really brings up the animosity and the, and the tension in the series right off the bat. But B, it also, there's nothing that the opposing coaching staff doesn't know about the other team. I mean, there's just going to be no surprises at all um, that I can think of. Unless a coaching staff's been holding something back all this time for the playoffs, you know, in terms of deployment and matchups and ozone starts and diesel starts and all that stuff. I don't think that's the case. I think you're trying to win games so much during the regular season that everyone has seen everyone's hand. So... I just think it's really about the animosity. I, I think all these series are going to be, you know, uh, I think there's going to be some nastiness, no question. Point. All right. Matthew Jex at mjex19. Where does Ryan Miller rank among the greatest American-born goaltenders? And, and gives us a chance, once again, to tip the cap to uh, one of the, the finest goalies of his generation and a, a, a guy who gave me one of the greatest professional thrills of my life my friend and you were sitting right next to me during that olympic tournament in vancouver in 2010 and what a performance by ryan miller but you know where does he you know where does he stack up do you think what do you think of the american greatest american born goalies yeah he's such a classy guy ryan miller i, I think he did this for you as well but after the yeah. vancouver olympics uh, i received a, a signed puck from ryan miller in the mail from his agent uh, i did Michael the same Eden. yes yeah and uh, <laughs> which was, I still have it somewhere, and uh, very nice of Ryan. Just, it came with a letter saying, thanks for the great coverage at the Olympics. Just, that's yep. how Ryan Miller is. He's a very thoughtful guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, he's he's one of the all-time greats for sure. I'm trying to think here. I'm looking at the all-time win leaders. Yeah, Mike Richter's Mike Richter, probably. Tom Barrasso, right? Yeah, yeah. And, was, and that's pretty heady company. I, you know, Mike Richter, and, and the other thing too, when I think of Mike Richter, and I think of... You know his turn in the uh, in the World Cup of Hockey with the which was the Americans of course beat the Canadians seminal moment for them and, and Mike Richter. You know, John Leesbrook. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, I I think Ryan Miller is is right up there, and uh, you know for me Mike Richter of course you know won a Stanley Cup with the Rangers, so that uh, that was something that never happened for Ryan Miller. But no, definitely, definitely a. Uh, um, 
you know, such an impressive career. And I'm with you. He's just always a treat to deal with. I, I hear, and who knows, right? No one has called to ask me what I think. But w- would you not be on the phone right now to Ryan Miller if you're ESPN or Turner Sports? Because, my gosh, what what, what kind of, you know, insight could he be bringing to your, uh, mm-hmm. to, to new broadcast uh, for American hockey fans. That's my take on it. But I think Ryan Miller and him and I have talked about this, you know, months ago when he was deciding whether or not he was going to come back for another season. But uh, he, I think he, what's in the back of his mind is, is, is management, NHL management. And um, I think, I mean, I think he'd be so good at that, you know, whether it's player development or, or just a real modern approach to, to running a hockey team. I think Ryan Miller has a lot to offer there, you know, when he feels ready to, to make that jump. Yeah, good point. All right, here's one more from uh, another one from Melon B's Dead Rat, a regular questioner for us at DaleJH66. Asking about Rod Brindamore, I know there have been lots of discussion, and I know you've been all over this, what's happening with uh, Carolina owner Tom Dundon and Rod Brindamore's uh, future there, his contract coming to an end at the end of this season. And and the question is, would he have more leverage if he waited until the end of the season and basically becomes a UFA as coaches? And we know now Rick Tockett out there, we know John Tortorella, Bruce Boudreaux, but we also know lots of teams um, that that have some coaching uh, holes to fill. Columbus, of course, Arizona. We know Seattle still waiting to name there first. What what do you make of the coaching marketplace as it relates to Rod Brindamore, who's done such a, a great job? And I think, as you pointed out, maybe the front runner to win the Jack Adams as Coach of the Year this season. Well, I, I mean, it's, that's not my opinion. As it was the uh, I pulled uh, the GMs around <laughs> yeah. the National Hockey League, and they and they gave uh, Brindamore the number one spot in in their vote uh, uh, just ahead of Joe Quenville and Dean Everson. All three would be excellent choices. Mike Sullivan, too, got a lot of votes and, and I think his work in Pittsburgh has been tremendous. Agreed. Um, so it's interesting on Rob Brindamore. I know last weekend there was sort of some premature reporting about Rob Brindamore that, that his deal might be done. It's not done. And what's interesting about it is that I think individually he's probably gone far enough as to what he thinks is his own deal might look like as far as an extension. But the reason nothing's done is that Rob Brindamore is trying to get, um, you know, some raises for his staff, for his for the assistants, and who I think are, are some of the lowest paid coaches in the league. So, you know, until that situation is resolved, I don't think you see a Rob Brindamore extension, is what I'm saying. So that's a really interesting situation. And, and listen, I don't think he's going anywhere. And to answer the question in terms of his leverage, it's never been about leverage. I mean, Rob Brindamore knows, I think, that he would make way more money on the open market than he than he will by staying in Carolina. But he loves Carolina. It's where his family lives. It's where he wants to be. Um, so that part of it, I don't think, has ever really entered his mind. Um, you know, that's just the reality is that it's a different number to stay in Carolina than it would be to, to go to the open market. Yeah. Um, I will also say that I have a feeling, while I don't know this, that Regardless of whatever salary you see attached to Rob Brindamore, if and when he does get all of this done between him and his assistants with the Hurricanes, that I think that you know, I, I believe he had some bonuses in his in his expiring deal attached to to uh, to attendance with the Hurricanes. Like he right. can, and I, I I'd be surprised if that didn't continue in his new deal. In other words, you know, let's say it ends up being around two million a year for Brindamore. I mean, that's that's a salary, but I think he'll have a chance to make 
other money elsewhere in his deal as well, depending on on attendance, etc. That's just my feel. I haven't confirmed that part. Right. But well, so just be careful when you judge. You know, oh, he's only making two million. He should be making three million. I think it's a little more complicated than that. Right. Well, and we, and we know this of Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, is that he he has a very particular way about how he feels the hockey business sure. should be run. And and and, and you know, listen, people is, are critical of Tom Dundon, and I will always say this: <clears throat> there's a guy who has never shortchanged the on ice product. He just never has. And having been to the new practice facility in Carolina, and I can tell you what the canes were practicing in for years before was a disgrace it was not it was an it was not a, a good place for an nhl team it wasn't a good place for a youth hockey team to be practicing let alone an nhl team so tom dunnan has you know he's put money into those kinds of facilities he matched the aho offer sheet right away he's he but he, he there are parts of the hockey operation where he does not feel that spending money it's a good return for him. And I, it, to me, it just tells you so much about Rod Brindamore that it's this line in the sand, if that's, you know, I think if we can characterize it like that, isn't about his own compensation, but about how his staff is treated. Right. Yeah, completely not surprised. And it does tell you exactly everything you need to know about Rod Brindamore. And, and to your point, like, if you ever hit the open market and, you know, he, that's not what he aspires to, I don't think. But if he did teams would line up to get him in their organization because that's the kind of human being he is. So there you go. Well put, my friend. All right. One more. One more question. And I'm going to ask, this is from Danny Max Sports at Danny Max Sport 1. Um, yeah, a question about the shakeup with the New York Rangers, which of course broke two seconds after you and I taped last week. Um, he asked about Adam Graves. Just, you know, is it possible Adam Graves could slide into Chris Drury's old spot? Of course, Chris Drury was the assistant GM and the GM of the Hartford Wolfpack. Um, what about his relationship with Danny Breer, who I talked to last week after Chris was promoted to president and GM? Um, Danny looks after an ECHL team in Portland, Maine, which is a it's a it's connected to the Rangers but owned by the Flyers basically. It's a really weird situation, but the two of them obviously have a long history. Could he, you know, maybe he becomes a Hartford GM? This is a question from Danny Mack. Um and so I'm just curious. There's there's lots of moving parts with that Ranger reorg, I guess is 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 what the reality is. Mm-hmm. No, those are all great questions. I don't really have any insight on that uh, at this point. I think obviously Chris Drury wants to get more help in front office around him. That much is clear. Yeah, Danny Briere would be fun. I mean, that would be so good to get those two guys reunited. And and you know, you and I have both talked to Danny over the years since his retirement. I mean, I, he's like Chris Drury. I think Danny Briere really has a mind for this and yeah. and and a passion for it, and he's a super smart guy and. You know, that would be a great move. You know, what's fascinating is that, and I didn't realize this because, of course, the Portland team didn't play this year uh, because of COVID. So um, when I talked to Danny, he was describing how he'd spent a lot more time around the Flyers because he works for Comcast Spectacore, which owns the Flyers. So, But he spent a lot more time around the big club. And um, my sense is that he and and Chuck Fletcher spent a lot of time together. uh, And the Flyers think very highly of him, uh, of course. So it would be fascinating 
given you know Flyers Rangers, no love lost there, and uh, but it would be interesting because of course Drury and Breer are um, are, are are friends and 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 colleagues in the business. So yeah, no, I think it'd be fascinating. I, and before I let that go, you know, it was, you know, Mark Messier's name has come up since the change there. I know he, he thought the team should be tougher and, but also sort of made it known that he would be interested. I, I think there are some, it's going to be interesting to see how Chris Drury sort of navigates, you know, sort of filling in some of the gaps uh, with his new role there. All right, my friend, uh, good work by you. And you should also be listening as Ian Mendez, Sean McIndoe, of course, every Thursday, the Athletic Hockey Show. Give that a listen. And one of the great characters of the game, Eddie Lack, joins Craig Custance on the full 60 on Thursday at the Athletic. You should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app and rate and subscribe to the Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month buddy next week playoffs underway can't wait good work by you right on right on